Today's not Christmas Day. Today we are concluding our Thanksgiving series for 2019 that we called Windfall. And we've been talking about uh, pieces of unexpected or overlooked good fortune. Specifically in this series, we've looked at four different, or we're looking at four different windfall blessings, very real blessings from God, but a lot of times we don't think of them as blessings. In week number one, we talked how we're blessed with a need. And that need is that God designed us to need each other. We are created for community. We talked about the need for a spiritual family, for being part of a church family, a small group where we can get closer to each other, be more open and even more vulnerable to each other. In week number two, we talked about being blessed with a burden, a special calling to serve others who are hurting uh, who have needs that we can participate in. Last Sunday, we, our subject was blessed to be a blessing. And I said that after we trust Jesus as our Savior and are born again into God's family, he leads us on this earth with all of its brokenness and all of its problems and all of its situations just so that we can serve him by serving others beginning with our own families. God is your provider and you have enough to share with others. This week's final topic is kind of a takeoff from that, being left on this earth to be a blessing to others. Those of us who have trusted Christ as Savior, those of us who have been born into God's family, those of us who have received the gift of eternal life have a gift that goes beyond that gift of eternity with him, goes beyond that gift of going to heaven when we die. While we're still on this earth, we are blessed by God to share Christ with those who do not know him. Right. That's a real blessing right there, huh? But it's true. It's true. We are blessed by God to be able to share Christ with those who don't know him. Those of us who are fully committed followers of Jesus, who have experienced God's grace and have experienced God's mercy and have experienced God's power, are blessed to share Jesus with other people. Now, the common term for that sharing, that is evangelism. And the person who does it is often called an evangelist. That word evangelist is actually used three times in the New Testament. Basically, the term means one who proclaims or the proclaiming of the good news that Jesus died on the cross so, uh, uh, to, to take away people's sins. So that's what an evangelist does. Evangelist says Jesus died for your sins. Now, the problem uh, with this is that in, that whole idea has a negative connotation in our society, doesn't it? We think of an evangelist, we think of the big-haired, loud-mouthed, pushy preacher on television, right? Nobody trusts that guy. Nobody has any time for that guy. Uh, in addition, we're taught in our society not to push our religious views on anybody else. How, I, you who are believers, how, ma how many of you, if you're a believer and you agree that people need to know about Jesus... But when you think about that, you either have feelings of guilt or fear when somebody talks about to you about sharing Jesus with other people. When the word evangelism is used, I don't want you to raise your hand, but do you, do you ever have those feelings of either fear or guilt? We know that we should be more involved in helping people to know Christ, but we don't do it, and so we feel guilty. After all, we're talking about eternity. We're talking about heaven or hell. And most of us are afraid of something, aren't we? Afraid we're going to mess up because we're talking about heaven and hell and eternity. Or, or we're afraid somebody's going to ask us a question 
that we can't answer uh, or we're afraid that people just won't be interested in what we have to say because uh, we're talking about eternity. We're talking about heaven or hell. Uh, so that's some of the problems that we face. And then sometimes we get the wrong idea about what it means to be a witness for Christ. When I was in seminary, one of the classes that I took was called evangelism. It was a two-semester class. And in that class, we learned techniques about you're in a conversation. How do you turn that conversation in a spiritual direction? And then we learned techniques for presenting the good news that Jesus died on the cross for sinners. We learned the Romans road. We learned four spiritual laws and things like that. And while I agreed with all the ideas and all the scripture verses, agreed that they were true, unfortunately, the presentation to me seemed more like I was selling a used car. You know, what would it take to put you in heaven today uh, kind of an idea. We had to practice on each other, and then we had to go out and knock on somebody's door. We had to get them to kneel, try to get them to kneel down and pray the sinner's prayer with us. What would it take to put you into this religious thing or put you into heaven today? It never seemed right to me. But we're blessed by God to share Christ with those who do not know him. The original witnesses did things a little different. Originally, when people told others about Jesus, it was being excited. I met this guy, I knew this guy, and he rose from the dead. He's the son of God, and you've got to know this same guy. Or uh, I, people told me about this guy who had risen from the dead, the very son of God who came to the earth, and they gave really good proof that it's true, and I know that it's true, and I want you to know about the same thing, uh, what God has done. What, what if you had cancer? and you were given two weeks or two months to live, and you went to see this doctor, and he healed you completely, and there was no sign of cancer left, would you be afraid to tell people about what had, what had happened to you? Would you think, well, they won't be interested, so I don't want to tell them? I doubt seriously that you could have a conversation with anybody where you would not just explode. I gotta tell you what happened in my life. I thought I was gonna die but I am alive. Think about us, uh, and, I, and I don't want to be too pushy about this because I don't want you to be pushy, but I was once going to hell, and now I'm going to heaven when I die. What could be more exciting than that? What gift could you give to anybody that would be any better than for them, for them to know that their eternity is sealed with Jesus. If you love someone, you want them to know. But if you've ever felt insecure, and I know you have, if you've ever even thought about telling somebody about Jesus, you've been afraid. And if you've ever thought about telling anybody about Jesus, you, 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 know, you wondered about doing that. So I want you to know that, that you are blessed with the opportunity to share Christ with others. Here's how the, the Apostle Paul explained his burden in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. He said this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul said, my life is not about me. My life is not about my rights. My life is not about my privileges. My life is not about my own comfort. I am going to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for me and I want as many people to know that as is possible. 
And here is how he accomplished his task. Verse 20. He said to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those who were under the law, I became like one under the law. Those would be the Jews. Though he said, I myself am not under the law. We're talking about the law of Moses. You're not under the law of Moses. I'm not under the law of Moses. There's still God's law, but we're not under the law of Moses. That was for Israel. But in then verse 21, he says, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. I didn't worry about keeping the law when I was talking to these people. Though I am not free from God's law, he said, I didn't go out and commit murder and crimes, but he said, I didn't worry about keeping the law of Moses because I was dealing with people that weren't under the law of Moses. So as to win those not having the law. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak. And that's a whole different story. Talk about people, I think, who who were worried about whether they should eat meat sacrificed to idols. But he said, to the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Was Paul a compromiser? No, he wasn't. He was a guy who wanted to find common ground with people so he could tell them about Jesus. When he was with Jews, he wouldn't eat a ham sandwich. I realized they didn't have sandwiches in those days, really. I understand that. But you know that Jews don't eat pork. It's against the law. You couldn't eat pork, you couldn't eat catfish under the law of Moses. And when Paul was with the Jews, he gladly, gladly did whatever it took, as long as it was not immoral or illegal, to make them comfortable with him so that they would hear what he had to say. When he was with the Gentiles, he ate whatever they put on the table. If it was catfish or uh, if it was ham or whatever it was, he ate what was ever, ever was on the table because he was not under the law of Moses anymore. He always wanted people to know that he cared about them and didn't consider himself to be better than they were. And he wasn't trying to pound them and pound them. Why did he do all that? Well, verse 23 says this, I did all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. The gospel is the good news that Jesus is God who came to the earth and died on the cross. That's what we're gonna talk about uh, for Christmas, right? Jesus is God who came to the earth, died on the cross, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sin, for everyone. He's, uh, the, the gospel is open to every person in the world. Paul already had the blessing of eternal life and he wanted everyone else to have the same blessing that he had. Now, each one of us who is a true follower of Jesus has the ability to share Jesus with others. Not necessarily in the way I learned it in the evangelism class, by the way, but we have the ability to share Jesus with others. We are blessed by God to share Christ with those who do not know him. In the next few minutes, what I want to do, and I'm just going to hit this very briefly, I'm going to give you four unlikely evangelists from Scripture, four examples, and hopefully you'll look at one of them and, and you'll say, if, if they can do it, I can do it. I can do that. That I can do. What you learned in seminary, I can't do, but, but what they did, I can do. So let's look at these four people. First of all, we look at the Samaritan woman, and she invited someone to come and see. So we learn that sometimes all you have to do is just invite somebody to come and see for yourself. In John's Gospel, chapter four, John gives an account of a trip that Jesus and the 12 followers of his took from the 
southern province of Judea to Jesus' home in the province of Galilee. I have a map. This is the only map I'm going to show you today, but I like a map every once in a while. Can you see Judea kind of down there on the, the bottom left uh, in brown, and then Galilee up at the top, kind of a gold or yellow color. So he was down here in the area of Jerusalem, and he wanted to go north. Now, a lot of, of good Jewish people wouldn't go through Samaria because they hated those Samar Samaritans. They felt like they were compromisers and terrible people, and they wouldn't have anything to do with them. So they crossed the Jordan River and go up through Perea and Decapolis, and then they would go over into Galilee. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria because he had an appointment. This lady didn't know, but she had an appointment to meet with Jesus. And Jesus uh, went north with his disciples, and they arrived in the city of Sychar. Can you see the yellow arrow right in the middle of that map? He met this woman in the city of Sychar. Now, this woman had at least three strikes against her. Number one, she was a Samaritan, and the Jewish people despised Samaritans. We're not going to go into all, all the reasons why, but they did. Number two, she was a woman. And women were valued far below men in that society. And number three, she was known by all the people of her city to be an immoral woman. So in the eyes of most people, she was disqualified from being used by God to do anything. But then she had an encounter with Jesus. Did you know sinners like Jesus? Now, religious leaders didn't care for him too much, but sinners always loved Jesus because uh, he didn't come to condemn them. He came to save them. He didn't condone what they were doing, but he didn't come to condemn them. He came to save them from their sins. And so it was about noontime, and it was really hot, and, and, and they arrived in this city called Sychar, and there's a well just outside the city walls, the well, uh, Jacob's well, and the 12 guys went into town to buy lunch in the marketplace, and Jesus sat down by the well, and this woman came out of the city to draw water from the well, and Jesus asked her to give him a drink. And she was shocked that he would do that. First of all, you know, she, she was a Samaritan, and secondly, she was a woman, and he was a Jewish man, and he was a man. Uh, and so she was shocked, and she talked to him about that. And he said, well, look, if you knew who I, I am that's talking to you, you would ask me for water because I have this eternal water that will be springing up forever, and you'll never have to have a second drink of this kind of water. And they discussed that, and she said, well, I want some of that water. Give me a drink of that. And Jesus said to her, go get your husband and bring him back, and we'll talk about it. And she said, I'm not married. I don't have a husband. And he said, you're right. You've told the truth. You've been married five times. And the guy you're living with now, he's not your husband. And then he said that he was the Messiah. He told her, I am the Messiah. He loved her regardless of her sin. He said, I am the Messiah. And then here's what she did. In John's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 28, then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see. Come see. That's what all, all we have to do sometimes. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, she already knew it was the Messiah, 
but she was smart enough. She's an immoral person, and she's a woman, and she's going back into town, and so she's, could this, maybe this is really the Messiah. And everybody came out. Verse 30 says they came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. And then we skip down to verse 39, uh, John 4, 39. That says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. She said, come see. Here's what he did for me. Come see. Almost anyone can do what the Samaritan woman did. Invite people, come, come and see. Come to church and see. Uh, statistically, four out of five people say, yeah, I'd come to church. I'd go to church even though I don't go to church. I would go if, if a friend, somebody I trust and love and, uh, invited me. Uh, come see. Listen in. Uh, the, our, our service is broadcast in different ways. Listen in. Watch what's going on. If she could do it, anyone could say, come and see. So the Samaritan woman is the first example. Here's the second example. There was a blind man. And this blind man uh, uh, teaches us, this guy who was born blind, teaches us that sometimes all we need to do is tell our story. Has Jesus done anything for you? That's your story. If Jesus has done anything for you, that's your story. So here's this guy. He'd never seen the light of day. He'd never seen a color. He'd never seen anything. And one, G one day Jesus walks by. He spits on the ground. This is maybe the dirtiest miracle Jesus ever did. He spits on the ground. And then he makes mud with the saliva and the dirt. And he puts it on the guy's eyes. And he said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash it off. And the man did that. And as soon as he washed the mud and the spit off of his eyes, he could see perfectly. Can you imagine what that's like? I was watching a new, anybody see this news story? I think it was on the local news here in the last couple of weeks where this principal of the school had found these glasses. He, he was colorblind. And he found these glasses that if you put on, you could see colors. And uh, they're only about $300 a piece. And so he, he bought some. And there was a kid, a boy, in, in a class in his school. And, of course, the news reporters are all there because it makes good news. And they came in and they put those glasses on that boy. And he saw colors for the first time in his life. And he broke down and just cried like a baby. And his mama cried and his teacher cried. And the kids were cheering. I can imagine that's kind of like what it was for this guy. Even better, he'd never, he was born without the ability to see. And Jesus performed a miracle and then he could see. No one could believe it. This must not be the same guy. He must just look like that guy. But can't possibly be. And the Jewish leaders, the ones called Pharisees, used it as an opportunity to attack Jesus because he did the miracle on the Sabbath day. And so they accused Jesus of being a false prophet and a sinner, and they investigated him. They talked to the guy, and they talked to the guy's parents, and the parents said, you go back and talk to the guy. We're not, he, he's old enough to take care of himself. We're not taking any responsibility. And the second time, they asked the man about Jesus, and isn't he a sinner, and all this kind of stuff. Here was his reply. John's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 25. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I don't have all the answers to your questions. I, I, there, there are things I don't know for sure, but I know one thing. 
He touched me, and I have not been the same since. Has Jesus changed your life? That is your story. It may not be very dramatic. You know, some people have, have these testimonies that, that uh, they were living on the streets and, uh, you know, drug addicts, and they came back to Jesus. And then some of us don't have, you know, anything so dramatic as that. But I will say this. Your story, regardless of what it is, will resonate with somebody. Somebody will be touched by your story, whatever it is. You just need to be thinking about what has Jesus done for me? What change has taken place in my life that I can be thankful for? So the Samaritan woman teaches us that sometimes all we have to do is say, invite somebody, come and see, come and see. And the blind man, sometimes all we have to say is our story. This is what Jesus did for me. And then number three, another lady, her name is Tabitha or Dorcas. Sometimes you give your life away in service to others and you earn the right to be heard by them. Here's what we know about this woman. Acts chapter nine, verse 36 says this, in Joppa, by the way, Gene and I have been to Joppa. It's a little town south of Tel Aviv uh, in Israel. Tel Aviv, you know, is the capital of Israel and the international airport. Just south of there, there's this little town called Joppa. It's right on the Mediterranean coast. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. And here's what we know about her. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Always doing good and helping the poor. She had a special burden for poor, especially, it appears, poor widows. She must have prayed for them and prayed with them and made clothes for them and got involved in their lives and showed that she truly cared about them, that it wasn't about her. Uh, she didn't have to take a selfie with them every time she did something for them. It was just all about them. She had earned the right to be heard and she influenced them and then she died. And the story it's all about how when Peter arrived on the scene, the apostle Peter, the widows were gathered around her and they were weeping and crying because this wonderful woman and they were holding up, look what she made for me, look what she did for me. She had earned the right to influence them and she did. By the way, uh, Peter raised her from the dead so she got to do it a little bit more. But you and I, we can do the same thing that Dorcas or Tabitha did. Uh, we can give our life away in the name of Jesus. You can earn the right to be heard by loving and sharing with people with no strings attached. I'm not doing this to get anything out of you. I'm not trying to make myself look better. Uh, all I want to do is help you. Widows, homeless men, children without opportunity, whatever it might be. Kids that are in the nursery, whatever it might be. Give your life away in service and you've earned the right to be heard when you speak. One more, one more person. This, this guy may not seem like such an unlikely evangelist, but we'll look at him. Peter, the apostle Peter, kind of the number one guy, right? Uh, from here, him we learned the, the lesson, sometimes you can be direct. Peter was, of course, one of the 12, a leader among leaders, how could he be called an unlikely evangelist? Well, if you think about Peter just a little bit, leading up as he was following Christ, he was always saying or doing something that brought Jesus' criticism. You know, Jesus was always saying, nah, no, that's not what it's going to be, Peter. 
And then on the night Jesus was betrayed, Peter was the guy that pulled his sword out, tried to chop somebody's head off, got his ear, and Jesus had to heal the guy. And then later on that night, Peter swore that he'd never even met Jesus. And then he quit. And he went back to fishing. I'm going back to fishing again. That was my job before I met Jesus. But after Jesus resurrected from the dead, and after Jesus went back to heaven, and on the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit had come and empowered the church, and after all the followers of Jesus who were in that group had been personal witnesses to people in Jerusalem that day, God called on Peter to be the main speaker, the guest speaker on the day of Pentecost. And on that occasion, Peter was very direct. He told his Jewish listeners that they were responsible. It was their fault. They bore the guilt of Jesus's crucifixion. And he was the savior of the world sent by God to them. It must have been the right approach because here's what happened. Acts chapter two, verse 37 says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? How, how can, we know we're guilty. What can we do about it? And Peter replied in verse 38, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for or because of the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. First of all, repent of your sins. Turn your back on your sins. Turn yourself toward Jesus and then, and then give public evidence of that by being baptized. Acts chapter 2 and verse 40 says this, with many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. You think, sometimes we look around and think we live in a corrupt generation. This doesn't hold a candle to the generation that Jesus lived in. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. There may be times, folks, in your life, I don't think it's the most common way, but there may be times in your life when you earn the right to be very blunt and very straight with someone about their need to repent and to turn to Jesus. Sometimes all we have to do is say, come and see. Come, come listen. Come listen to what's going on. Come see what's going on. Sometimes we just say, well, look, I can't answer all your questions, but here's what Jesus did for me. Sometimes we just serve people. We just give our life away and do everything we can for them. And sometimes we're very direct. A little finger pointing going on. As we close this series, the whole month, here's what I would like to do first of all. I want to be a witness to you, each one of you who is hearing me speak you are blessed with the opportunity to receive Christ and have the gift of eternal life. You are blessed with the opportunity to have the presence of God in your life throughout this, this time on earth and to spend eternity with him in heaven. Now, you may have a lot more opportunities beyond this opportunity, or you may not, because that opportunity ends when this life Ends, but right now, if, if you feel God working within you, drawing you to him, and you say, you know, I, I realize there is a God, and I believe that Jesus came and died on the cross 
uh, for me. And I know that I can't do this by myself. I, 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 I try to be good, but I never do quite make it. Good enough. All you have to do is just tell God about that and say, I'm yours. Take me into your family, and he will forever and eternally take you into his family and give you the gift of eternal life. And then after you meet him, recognize how blessed you are. After you've experienced his grace and his love and his mercy, you're blessed with a need. God designed you for community. We need each other. I need you. You need me. We both, we all need God. And you need to, you need to attach yourself to a Christian community, to a church where you can best serve him and grow. You're blessed with a burden, a special calling to serve others. Serving others who are hurting and have needs is a blessing in your life, not a curse. And then you're blessed to be a blessing. After we trust Jesus and are born into God's family, he leaves us on this earth, not to be sinners, but to serve others, to serve him by serving others, beginning with our own family. God is your provider. You have more than enough. You can help other people. And then finally, you're blessed to share Christ. When you know him and you think about what he's done for you and you think about how you love people, uh, it, it's not about getting somebody to do something. It's about loving somebody and wanting them to have the same gift that you have. Recognize how blessed you are. Live in the fullness of the blessings that God can do more in you and through you than you could ever ask or think. You are blessed. We had Thanksgiving a couple of days ago, but you are blessed. Now, here's how we're going to close the service today. I'm going to pray for you. And after I pray, we're going to watch a short video that's going to introduce the Christmas series. It's coming up next week. And it'll, there'll be some similarities as we go on because the message is always the same. But uh, I hope you'll come back and bring your friends with you. Come and see. Come and see uh, this interesting series that we're going to do. So let's pray together. Father, I know that you're here because you promised to be, and you always keep your promises. And uh, our hearts go out. We all probably are thinking about people that need to know you. So I ask you to work in their lives. Or maybe people that are just hurting, maybe because they don't have what they need, or maybe because tragedy has struck their lives, whatever it might be. Give us the grace to help them, to serve them, not thinking about ourselves. And as we enter this Christmas season, we want to put you first and realize that, we, that people are thinking about you in a way that they don't for the rest of the year. Give us the grace to share Christ with them in the best way that we can do it. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.